Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. We have a whole slate of week one games behind us. Week two kicked off again on Thursday night with Chiefs, Chargers, and it was a battle till the very end, which is what we could have expected. So I want to touch on that game just a little bit only because I do think that it says a lot about what is happening in the AFC right now. And I think obviously that pertains to the Patriots as well. You know, we're always talking Patriots on this podcast. So we're also going to talk about the Patriots um, week one performance, specifically what it means for Bill Belichick and the coaching staff moving forward. There are, you know, I called that a must win game last week. And I still believe that that loss is completely totally on the Patriots. I don't think that the that the Dolphins played so well that they should have lost that game. However, here we are, have to move forward. They got a lucky break uh, with not having to play TJ Watt this week against the Steelers. So obviously we'll talk a little bit about like previewing that game as well and what we can expect there. And finally, I'm going to end with a quick little rant on anonymous burner accounts and trolls on Twitter. And I'm going to impart some wisdom and hopefully help you guys kind of figure out what the landscape is when you're interacting with sports media, verified people on Twitter, things like that, because believe it or not, we like to get down in the mud with you guys sometimes. So I'm going to give you some ground rules just to observe. You can take them or leave them. Okay. This is going to be quick hitting. I don't have all day. We're going to get to it. And then we're going to get out of here and we're going to get on with our weekend and look forward to the Steelers game. Let's kick off the conversation with Chargers Chiefs. Now, the AFC West was supposed to be the most competitive division in football, the most competitive division we've ever seen, right? And the Chiefs did not come out of that game as pristine as one would have you believe based on the final score. Patrick Mahomes left that game with zero interceptions, but they called back like three different interceptions that he could have thrown. It was not his best performance. And Justin Herbert was injured by the end of the game. He was really stifled. You know, the Chiefs defense was doing their job completely um, throughout the game on the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Both teams were struggling offensively in the first half. Brandon Staley seems to have like regressed from his uh, more aggressive approach going for on fourth downs, going for two point conversions, things like that. Everybody was really confused on what they were seeing from Brandon Staley. It was almost as if they were overthinking. Obviously they were playing in Arrowhead, difficult place to play, understood. However, there was just some uncharacteristic coaching decisions from that sideline that had me scratching my head. On the other side of the ball, by the second half, the Chiefs started to get a little bit more of a rhythm huge you cannot understate what a, like 90 something yard pick six will do for a team when you're trying to close out a game huge defensive play by like a seventh round pick guy who nobody's ever heard of very malcolm butler-esque right and so the chief's defense like you know they came through and got the job done this wasn't patrick mahomes best game wasn't justin herbert's best game I don't think it's what we really fully thought we were going to see from the Chargers and Chiefs this season, but sometimes this happens with 
early division games between even two really good teams. They're just still figuring out, working out kinks, stuff like that. They don't have a ton of tape on each other from the season. Chiefs offense is different. You know, it's a different offense than it was with Tyreek Hill. And uh, they did shut down Travis Kelsey pretty good. Probably the highlight of the season thus far, this like spine buster WWE move from Derwin James on Travis Kelsey, uh, that for it's forced what looked like a fumble, slammed him to the ground, ball flies out, the chargers recover it, but they say he was down by contact. I don't know. It, it's so bizarre. It was such a bizarre play that like, I understand there's not like a ton of precedent on how to handle that, but it looked like a fumble to me. It was almost like a ground causes the fumble type situation because he slammed, like he never really had possession on the ground. Um, and he didn't really have, so I don't know it, like he had become a runner by that point. So I don't know. I, I don't want to get too far into it on this podcast because again, this is an audio medium and I can't show you video of what happened, but I'm sure most of you have seen it at this point. It was, it was a, like a messy kind of grungy game for two offensive powerhouse teams. And I always love to see it. Like I said, in the early part of the season, the big takeaway I have about that game moving, you know, into the rest of the season is this, the AFC West is starting to look a little less competitive than we may have thought. Whatever's going on with the Broncos, I have to believe they're going to figure it out, at least compared to what happened last week. There's a difference between going and having a mental mistake against the Seahawks and the 12th man in Seattle versus kind of like dealing with that down the stretch, right? Like there's going to have to be some adjustments made. I do think that Nathaniel Hackett is smart enough to know how much he screwed that up. And at some point he's going to have to, I hate to say it, but let Russ cook in those moments. So I'd be interested to see how they, you know, I'm really interested to see how they play in week two, because that's a team that I don't think we learned a ton about in week one, because the game was so emotional and there was so much going on. As far as the Raiders go, they're still kind of a, an unknown entity as well. We know what they are offensively, what they can be, but they don't, they certainly didn't look like contenders to beat the chiefs, right? As of week one, they didn't look like the kind of team that could do that again, long season. We've got a lot to learn about these teams. They have a lot to learn about themselves. So this chargers chiefs game seemed like it was the battle of the two best teams in the AFC West and the chiefs still made the bigger plays still ended up coming out on top. They've got this random kicker they've brought in. They still made it work, making field goals, making point after attempts. And it's, they just, again, look like they remind me of what the Patriots were for so long, just steady, just finding ways to win, just never getting too over their skis, right? Patrick Mahomes will make mistakes and he will get flustered and he isn't always perfect. In fact, there's a lot of games where he's not perfect at all, but he's gotten a lot more comfortable being imperfect and he has gotten confident. He has enough confidence in himself and in his relationship with the offensive staff and Andy Reid and his coaches that they just never seem completely thrown by anything. You can kind of, they can take anything that comes their way and handle it. And they just have that look of a team that's been good for so long. They, they're not, they're not too concerned. So you take a team like that and you take a team like what we see with the bills and you take a team like what you see some, you know, with the Ravens and the Ravens suffered a couple of really big injuries. Again, that team cannot seem to stay healthy, but it still sort of feels like they're the best team in the AFC North and they still have an elite quarterback and they still have an elite coach. And you're lo you look at the sort of top tier of the AFC and whether it's winning blowouts, 
you know, scoring 45 points or whether it's winning grimy divisional games, those teams are very good at that. And they're going to stay good at that all year. And you circle back around to the Patriots and you see what they were like completely unable to do against the Dolphins, unable to make offensive adjustments, especially in the second half when things were dire, unable to prevent the game losing mistake. I don't think the Patriots are going to be allowing, you know, the kind of broken plays that resulted in a touchdown at the end of the first half regularly. I don't, they had just lost Adrian Phillips. It was a, it was bad, but like if you're down 10, nothing and your offense can't score, those mistakes are killers. It killed them. It put them so far back that there was no digging themselves out of that hole with the, where their play calling was at in that game. So it just, these are the things I look around the league and I look at teams that can like come out of that adversity and figure it out in really important divisional games. And the Patriots just showed none of that on uh, in week one. Having said that, let's transition into their week two matchup back on the road. So they've been now on the road for two weeks in a row going to Pittsburgh. I'm still calling it Heinz Field. Okay. We're at Acrisure, whatever the hell it is now. It's Heinz Field to me. So they're they're back in a place where they've had success uh, across the Belichick Brady dynasty, but obviously it's different times. These are different players, all of that stuff. They're without TJ Watt. Uh, never root for anybody to be injured, but it's very clear that they're better off without TJ Watt on the field. On the you know pass rushing, <laughs> like it's horrifying, especially considering Max protection in Week One wasn't great. It seems like there were some like coverage sort of miscommunications. I'm not sure how well the communicating on the sideline was. I heard Matt Patricia talk to Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. He was asked about the communication and the, and Matt Patricia really just went on a weird long explainer about how headsets work. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. But one thing I did pull from that was it seems like there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen. And he's trying to pull from everywhere. And this is a guy who's never been an offensive coordinator, never really been an offensive, never been an offensive mastermind by any means. So on top of everything else that he's learning this job on the fly, there's also a lot of people he's got in his ear and he's, he went on this long rambling explanation about how headsets work. It was just not encouraging. The reporting has come out over the last week that born the issues with born kind of come from Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick is sort of supporting Matt Patricia's decision making as you have to do with an offensive coordinator but hopefully we're past it enough that they put Kendrick Bourne in the game I talked a little bit on locked on Patriots today and you can go listen to that as well with Mike debate about hoping hoping to see them use more of the two tight end sets and not just in blocking because they did a lot of two tight ends in week one but they were a lot of it was just helping out with the blocking against the Steelers pass rush. They may have to keep doing that, but I would like to see them doing more with them as pass catchers and utilizing the backfield more. I mean, the running backs were not a huge factor against Miami and, you know, Damian Harris kind of started things off strong early on in the game. And then it just petered out. This is, you know, if Mac is, can't throw downfield. We don't know where his back is at. We don't know where he's at with his stomach illness. We know he's going to play, but like, if he can't throw downfield, it's going to be a problem. It's going to, you can't go up against a Steelers defense and not be able to stretch it and open things up a little bit, especially now that the Steelers have Brian Flores on their sideline as Mike Tomlin's right-hand man. Brian Flores absolutely 
destroyed the Patriots when he was with the Dolphins. Belichick does tend to struggle against coaching staffs that feature one of his former coaches. So, you know, they have got to be able to like diversify their play calling enough. Do I need Mac to turn into Patrick Mahomes? No. If anything, I trust Mac a lot in these situations when he's a little banged up or if there's a stressful thing because he goes to game manager mode, right? He's a great game manager. And so if they can just trust in the weapons that they have and give them the opportunities, like Kendrick Bourne needs to get opportunities. Nelson Aguilar has shown in these random spurts, just let him go. Let him help you stretch the field. Give him a couple of targets. I, you know, they have to be willing to make big mistakes on offense if they're going to get big wins on offense because the Patriots are a team that take three downs to convert. They just don't have these chunk plays that can help them get down the field quick and score quick. It's, it's a slog every single time, even the possession where they scored last week, it took them like eight and a half minutes. Luckily the opposing quarterback is Mitch Trubisky. And even if Mac is at 80%, he's better than Mitch Trubisky. So their offense is definitely not some massive threat either. And the Patriots defense outside of that broken play last week against the Dolphins at the end of the first half was actually pretty good. I said before the season that I always trust the Patriots defense until they give me a reason not to, and they have not given me a reason not to thus far. They're getting lucky with a pretty easy quarterback matchup against Mitch Trubisky. You know, Mitch isn't even as good as Tua, and Tua is not that good, right? So if, if you could handle Tua last week with Tyreek Hill and handle that, you can definitely handle Mitch Trubisky. I'm, you know, I kind of am at the point now where I've talked myself into the fact that the Patriots could win that game purely because their defense can hang enough against Mitch Trubisky to allow the Patriots offense to try to get some points on the board with a TJ Wattless Steelers defense. Doesn't mean I'm underestimating the Steelers defense. A lot of what they did against Joe Burrow and the Bengals in week one didn't have so much to do with TJ Watt. That's a pretty well balanced unit they have across the board, even on the pass rush. But the Patriots defense continues to prove that they can help the offense hang in there if the offense just takes the opportunities that are given to them. Let Nick Folk go out there and kick some field goals if you gotta. Get points wherever you can. Because I do think the team that scores the first 7-10 points in this game is going to have a massive advantage because these two defensive units know exactly what they're doing and both offenses are limited. So if I had to, you know, sort of give a prediction at this point, I do think there's a strong chance the Patriots win this game, taking into account the, the Steelers' weaknesses. I guess on the flip side, if they don't win this game against a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky, things start to look really ugly because then they're up against Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers and a whole, not to mention the two Josh Allen games they have coming up. If they can't get it done, even on the road against a Mitch Trubisky, they're going to be in a hole. I'm not sure they can dig themselves out of just why I really felt like that last week was a must win game for them. Some just some sort of mental or emotional win, but here we are. I, I really think that both teams are going to come out of that game 1-1. You know, the Steelers are not a good enough team to be 2-0. And the Patriots are certainly a bad enough team to be 0-2. I just, I think considering their matchup and what they're going to be able to do to give Mac and the offense a chance to work things out will hopefully work in their favor. I said on Locked On 17-14, a tight, ugly game. There's, I have no high hopes that the Patriots offense is going to come out of this game, like having people changed people's minds drastically. 
but scoring a couple of touchdowns would make a big difference um, just to get the ball rolling. And I don't really care how they do it. I don't care if Mac throws for a hundred yards and they're both two rushing touchdowns. I don't care. You know, you just got to get the ball rolling. Okay. And before we go, I just want to, I want to touch on something I've been talking about and dealing with on Twitter lately, which is kind of, you know, we all get on Twitter. We should talk. We, we engage, we debate, we call out trolls, trolls call out us. It's the economy of Twitter. What happens, and this has happened just hundreds of times at this point, is I'll call out a troll who says something to like one of my friends or who says something to me. And I'll start, like, I'll kind of go back and forth. Last, so for example, last night I sent out a tweet to someone coming out of, and you know, I talked some shit, went to bed, woke up, saw the response, went back and forth with, forth with them over like maybe three or four tweets. And then I get some version of this all the time. So you have a verified Twitter account and you're arguing with someone with 60 followers who's a burner. Why are you so sensitive? Why would you even waste your time? The self-own doing my job for me. Thank you. Here's the thing. People who are verified on Twitter or in, in media on Twitter who spend a lot of their actual work day engaging on Twitter because they get paid to do that, it's no skin off our back to send a 20-second 20, 20 tweet to a troll. If we never responded to any trolls or burners, then we wouldn't have much interaction. Like, we can't just only talk to each other on there. It wouldn't be fun for you guys. It wouldn't be fun for us, right? Do you want us only engaging with other verified sports media people or other sports media people on Twitter? Why are you there if you, if you don't want interaction with us, right? So I get paid to interact on social media, to be on social media and, and engage with people. You're doing it for free with someone else's face as your Twitter avatar and 60 followers. Then you self-own and say, why would you argue with a loser like me who is an anonymous weirdo? It's like, guys, it took me 20 seconds. I did this while I was brushing my teeth. What, did, what would you like? You, you, want, you want to just be completely ignored? I don't respond to every troll, every burner account. But if I do, it's because I want to. I want to talk shit. I want to get into it. Just like you. Like you're, you want to talk shit and get into it. And then when someone gets into it with you that has a check mark next to their name, you start to cower. Because all of a sudden, you've got 11,000 or 20,000 or 50,000 or however many people watching you get in some trolly annoying argument and you get freaked out and are like, why are you, oh, why are you giving me attention? Does that make me special? Why are you so insecure that you would argue with a lowly idiot like me? Like, that's not the flex you think it is, my guys. That's not the flex you think it is. We are out here with real names and real faces and real profiles and real links to our real work. And you're a burner account that we're engaging with because it's our job. If you've said something annoying enough that I want to respond to it, you can take it as a compliment if you want. Like, that's fine. I don't care. Like, I can't tell you what to be complimented by and what not to. So if you say something so offensive or so annoying or so silly that I respond to it and start kind of coming at you, take as much pride in that as you want. But I'm still the one benefiting by engaging with people, I'm still the one that built up a following enough to be able to do that on my platform, right? So trying to say it's stupid for engaging with, with small follower accounts or burner accounts or trolls accounts, like if we didn't engage with you guys ever, we'd be just yelling into the void to each other. 
like that's most of Twitter. Most of Twitter is people using fake accounts or accounts with not their real name or not their real face or some version of their name that's not their full name. Like no profiles, no links to who they are, what they do for a living. That's the nature of Twitter. So yeah, sometimes a person with a verified following is going to find it worth their time to argue or drop hot takes or serve L's to Twitter trolls. Just like if someone, if someone came up to me and started like flipping me off and yelling at me in the street, I have two options. If I'm in the mood, we're getting into it. If I'm not in the mood, I'm getting in my car and I'm leaving. Same thing happens on Twitter. If I'm in the mood, get into it. Only difference from the real life situation is that on Twitter, it's only benefiting me. Just something to keep in mind. Not all of you guys listening to or watching this are trolls who use burner accounts. Some of you may be totally fine. That's how Twitter works. Can't hate the player, gotta hate the game, right? But it's not an own to be like, I'm so lame and I have no followers. Why would you even argue with me? Because that's Twitter, my guy. That's where we're at. That's the Twitter economy, baby. I don't know. Sometimes I argue with fellow media people. Sometimes I argue with politicians. Sometimes I argue with trolls and burner accounts. That's what makes the internet so wild. If that makes you feel special or makes you think I'm lame, I'm still the one getting paid with a check mark next to my name. There's no, like, it's, you can't defeat it, you know? But if you want to take a moral victory, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just giving you my perspective, like how I end up seeing it. Bro, you're just, you're going to make fun of yourself like that? Fine. Whatever. I do love you guys. I do. I really appreciate you guys know this. Like you, the debates and the haters, like that, it keeps me going on Twitter. I've built a nice following off of it. So I love you guys. And I love the love, of course. Any, you know, there's a lot of listeners I have who like we DM back and forth regularly. We become kind of like Twitter friends. You can choose your path, choose your own adventure. You know what I mean? All right. That's it for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. It was quick thoughts, quick hits. Um, but you know, I'm loose. I'm feeling loose today. It's Friday. I've already done a couple of podcasts. So I'm looking forward to catching up after Patriot Steelers before we go, you know, I just realized before we go, I just want to make it clear. I don't know what's being said in Boston, but Mike debate told me that there are people talking about whether or not uh, Bill Belichick will be on the hot seat after the Steelers. If they lose, let me just clarify for you in case I don't know. Other people haven't in New England. That will that is insane. I don't know who's telling you that. I don't know if they're sourced or not, but that is not going to happen. Bill Belichick could lose that game 45 to nothing. And Robert Kraft is not going to put him on the hot seat. Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft have a much more stable relationship than that. He would never, ever be on the hot seat midseason. That would never, ever happen. Postseason, if things went horribly wrong, if they won four or five games this year and things went horribly wrong and Robert Kraft goes to Belichick, I still don't think he's on the hot seat. But at least, yes, there would be tension. There, there would be conversations. It would be, you know, emotional. But like, I, you know, I don't want to go on a big, long rant about this because I talk about Belichick on this podcast way too much. But just rest assured, whether you want it or not, like, I don't know, maybe some of you do want him on the hot seat. It, it, it's not happening. Like it's not happening. He's in his second year with a 15th overall pick. You think they're going to fire Bill Belichick? Guys, get, just take a breath. Look outside, lay down and feel some grass, smell some fresh air. You're good. Okay. And if, if that, if you want that, if you want Belichick on the hot seat, I don't think I'm for you. 
I don't think I'm, I'm not the podcast for you. I don't even know how you're here in the first place. You know what I mean? All right, seriously, that's it. That's all I got for you. Thank you so much. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your week two football. If you're not watching House of the Dragon or Rings of Power, you should be doing that. Come on, guys. Friday night's Ring of Power, Sunday night's House of the Dragon. Get in on the conversation. We can talk about that on Twitter too. It doesn't always have to be football and sports. And in the meantime, have an awesome weekend and I will talk to you next week. Bye.